Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tondawanda, New York. Yes, indeed, uh, sportsmen and women, welcome back to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport. I'm coming to you today on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You can also access this podcast via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Free Radio, Beacon, Pocket Casts, and, of course, Anchor.fm. Remember, please donate to help support this show and our mission. $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford is greatly appreciated. And it helps me push back on the nonsense that's in the lamestream propaganda while providing sound science and conservation news and commentary. The commentary is, of course, my own. It is my show. It's my own opinion. But I will provide you the news. And if I do get official statements from organizations and such, I will let you know that it is an official position. Uh, We are looking for sponsors, and we're growing the audience rapidly. Please, please, please help spread the word. All right, so, I mean, what a beautiful weekend. We had Father's Day come through. We had an air show that had the uh, uh, small boat harbor shut down from Thursday at dusk till yesterday around 4 p.m., Uh, So, you know, folks that wanted to go bass fish around uh, the city of Buffalo uh, or maybe musky fish up in the uh, the harbor there, the outer harbor, uh, they were SOL as everything was shut down for the air show, which I heard was absolutely spectacular. Although I guess on Saturday, the Blue Angels, um, you know, this was a a show put on by the Navy in years past. The Air Force would have uh, been putting this on, but uh, the Blue Angels from the U.S. Navy uh, couldn't fly on Saturday due to a low ceiling. We had real low clouds, uh, but they put on a heck of a show yesterday. And, uh, you know, again, it was Father's Day, so happy Father's Day, belated. Uh, And today is the 21st of June, which is uh, the first day of summer. And uh, that means, uh, you know, the summer solstice is here. And, of course, from here on out, that also means that days are starting to get shorter. Sorry, folks, I had to throw that in. Anyhow, we've got some COVID, COVID, COVID news uh, that uh, I think everybody has, has probably heard by now. But on June 16th, Hansi Andy Cuomo announced that all restrictions in New York were lifted for COVID, COVID, COVID. Except, of course, the CDC guidelines that make no sense in terms of masking very young kids going to summer camp and preschool and all of that. Um, you know, young kids aren't at risk from COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, they haven't been at risk from COVID, COVID, COVID. And these mandates uh, seem to be, um, once again, not following the science as they claim to follow the science. Um This uh, move was apparently done because New York has reached 70% of population receiving at least one vaccine shot. Uh, The mRNA, mRNA, let's try that again, uh, vaccine needs two shots. The Johnson & Johnson, which is the antigen vaccine, only requires one. And I guess uh, 70% is the threshold uh, for herd immunity. Of course, this doesn't count all those folks that were naturally uh, immunized when they got uh, you know, COVID during the early days and they got over it and everybody who has gotten COVID, um, as is naturally immunized. Uh, in fact, the science does indicate that, uh, Uh, You have a more robust, long-lasting immunity to this COVID virus, SARS-2, if you naturally uh, got over the the virus. You got sick and you recovered. Your immune system has developed the antibodies that are very robust and long-lasting. Science actually has also been tracking people that had the original SARS virus back 2003-2005. And those people people are also showing um, immunity to SARS-2. So I'm wondering when, uh, you know, the folks that were sick and got uh, over this without a problem will be lumped into the vaccinated side of the coin. Uh, Science indicates that those who were sick with COVID um, and uh, did get over it uh, ought not get this uh, vaccine as it causes an immune system response conflict in your body. And that's no bueno. Anyhow, uh, you know, this was really interesting that uh, this was lifted. Uh, you know, again, this was June 16th, and uh, of course, it did uh, come as no surprise that three days 
after this uh, announcement on the 19th, uh, Andy's daughter was getting married, so I wonder what was going on with that. Anyhow, in response, um, a lot of changes have been happening. The Erie County Fair announced that the capacity limits that they had per day will no longer be in force. Uh, they were planning on selling tickets, and you had to buy pre-sale tickets online, and they were going to sell uh, a cap of about 74,000 tickets a day. Uh, that has now been eliminated. You still need to purchase tickets in advance, um, but they're no longer you know, valid on whatever date you mention you want to go. It's the, the tickets are valid for any day of the fair. Um, that is a good thing. I'm, I think the parking is still involved, uh, included in that. I'm not sure. I haven't heard. Uh, but uh, that is really good news for fairgoers. Uh, the state fair, of course, is also on. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they usually do the uh, state fair right around the last week of August into uh, Labor Day. Uh, that has been moved up, and it's going to uh, conflict with the Erie County Fair uh, towards the last, the latter part of it. Um, of course, that's just absolutely brilliant planning on, on the part of uh, New York State, which you know is par for the course. They also were the ones to plan the air show and shut down the major marina in uh, the Buffalo area uh, on opening weekend of bass season. Uh, but, you know, there's no shortage of lack of brains in Albany. Um, Taste of Buffalo has also announced that they've dropped plans to charge for tickets, so that's a welcome change. Uh, this announcement being made the day after the Erie County Fisheries Advisory Board meeting uh, was, uh, uh, was held. It precluded any questions and updates on some of the upcoming events that we have uh, planned in the area regarding fishing. Uh, Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Club sponsoring a Teach Me to Fish event on the 26th of June down in Chestnut Ridge Park at the Commissioner's Cabin. Uh, although we tend to typically, uh, you know, see about 100 to 110, 115 kids uh, show up to these things, um, you know, we're, we're not going to change our, our approach to it because there's no more capacity limits. Our capacity now is going to be limited by the number of volunteers, as is always the case. You know, it's, it's tough to get volunteers to give up a Saturday. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have enough, uh, enough folks. We have uh, three learning stations for that one, and uh, we're ready to rock and roll. Again, the, the event, uh, we did want pre-registration for it. Um, I am not sure if that's going to happen again, but this is co this coming Saturday. Um, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to relax that and we can take the registrations as walk-ups. Uh, I have heard that the online registration has been a little bit slow. Um, <clears throat> but I'll, I'll reach out, and if I need to make an emergency broadcast on that, I will. Uh, the uh, Buffalo United Front's family fishing days down at Broderick Park is also, um, you know, moving forward as planned. They've got... Uh, you know, they had a 500-person uh, cap on each day. I don't know if that has been uh, impacted by uh, these recent announcements from Hansy Andy, uh, but we can always hope. Uh, reach out to George Johnson at Buffalo United Front, and, uh, you know, you can find out if you're planning on going to the Free Family Fishing Days, which is this weekend. It's the 26th and 27th down at Broderick Park. Um, the hours are a little bit shortened, um, but, you know, that's okay. Uh, they're going to be, you know, still have uh, all their things going on. They've got volunteers from the Eastside Fishing Club uh, that are going to be helping out. Uh, free rod and reels will be given away to some lucky uh, youths that, that uh, you know, complete their, their uh, learning tasks, uh, just like at uh, uh, the uh, Chestnut Ridge Park Teach Me to Fish event. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, both events are going to need volunteers. So, you know, if you're a sportsman or woman that uh, is looking to reach out to the kids, whether whether it's going to be at uh, Chestnut Ridge or at Broderick Park downtown, um, you know, please show up and, uh, you know, volunteer your time, volunteer your expertise, pass along the knowledge that you have to these kids. Uh, they are the future, and uh, we want to have good, solid uh, future conservation stewards out there. Uh, other news progress continues. Uh, as more counties are passing local laws to lower the deer hunting age to firearms uh, to age 12, there are now 35 counties across New York that have passed their local ordinances to permit a youths age 12 and 13 to hunt deer with firearms this season. Again, this pilot program runs through December 31st, 2023, and uh, I am sure there will be more counties that will be passing their local laws. 
Uh, in Region 9, all counties, except for Erie, the largest county, of course, um, has passed their local laws. So Niagara, Chautauqua, Allegheny, Wyoming, and Cattaraugus counties, um, you know, youths age 12 and 13 are welcome with open arms uh, to hunt with their parents or mentors uh, this season during regular season uh, with a firearm. They can also pick up a... Uh, a crossbow and they will be able to use muzzle loaders in the extended season and the new holiday hunt which is set up for December 26th through January 1. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, so you know these are, are great. Uh, there are still you know a handful of counties that are left including Erie County. Um, I have been told that the local uh, laws public hearing will be slated in July. April Baskins, the county legislature majority chair, has told me that at some point uh, after the 4th of July, this will be happening and then the vote will, will follow. Uh, the votes are there to get it passed. Um, but, you know, there are a couple of legislators that have some legal questions and apparently it takes about 60 days for the county attorney to set an appointment with these uh, legislators to sit down and review local laws and state laws and how all of it works. Nevertheless, we're looking forward to that and as soon as I get that uh, date, I'll pass it along to you. It's kind of exciting. Uh, as also I discussed it last week, uh, the DEC has released their deer management plan. It's a 10-year plan, and I did promise that we were going to do a deeper dive into it. So here we go. We're going to go ahead and dive deep. This plan was released on June 16, 2021, the same day as Hansy Andy's announcements on the COVID, COVID, COVID lifting of those uh, 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 restrictions and such. Uh, but this is an all-encompassing document <clears throat> that will serve to guide deer management for the next 10 years in New York State, which establishes six primary goals uh, for the next 10 years, and these goals are as follows. Uh, manage deer populations at levels that are appropriate for human and ecological concerns. Promote the benefits of deer hunting and enhance its usefulness as a management tool in New York. Reduce the negative impacts caused by deer. Number four is to foster understanding and communication about deer ecology, management, economic aspects, and recreational opportunities while enhancing DEC's understanding of public interest. Number five, manage deer to promote healthy and sustainable forests and enhance habitat conservation efforts to benefit deer and other species. And finally, to ensure that the necessary resources are available to support the proper management of white-tailed deer in New York. It is noteworthy to state that the DEC will periodically be updating this plan during the course of this 10-year period. As more is learned, or, or if meeting the stated objectives requires changing direction, there is flexibility in this plan. It is not set in stone. So that's a really good thing, but it is an overarching guiding um, document, if you will. Uh, and it's been, you know, there's a lot of work that's been put in it. The, uh, the final document is about 85 pages long and uh, does reference a lot of different studies, a lot of different things in the past, where they're going for the future, um, evaluating how their, their program uh, you know, worked out over the last uh, period of the deer management plan, and now this is the update to it, and they're doing pretty good. Uh, you know, my hat's off right now to the DEC and, uh, and the work that has been done on this. But again, we're going to do a deep dive and we're going we're gonna to examine some of the details of this because the devil is in the detail. And, you know, before we dive in, into that deeper, uh, you know, this is a draft plan. It is the final draft plan, and it is open for public comment. And, you know, I urge the public, you know, if you're a hunter, you know, read this plan. You can get it at dec.ny.gov. Um, that's their website. Uh, look under recreational, uh, uh, the recreational tab under hunting and look for deer plan. Or you can just search for deer plan, and that should come up right away. Uh, you know, read it up. There is a lot of good information in this, and there's a lot of uh, stuff that, you know, may be uh, a little questionable, but you've got till August 8th to get your feelings on the docket and let them get known. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back with uh, more on this deer plan. Don't go away, folks. We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back.
time to welcome back sportsmen and women to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming at you from sunny Tandawanda, New York, although the clouds are starting to move in. I guess we're going to get some rain um, later on today, which is you know certainly welcome. We could use some rain. Um, <clears throat> yeah, back to the deer plan, folks. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, with the six different goals in mind, uh, I want to run through that, some of the basics of this plan, uh, you know, starting with uh, management goal number one, and that's the population management. Uh, you know, several steps were already taken in 2016 uh, to try to enhance population assessment and uh, to try to get to the objectives and updating objectives for these areas in, in a little bit more timely fashion. Um, there were 90 plus wildlife management units or WMUs across New York that were to be um, you know, evaluated every five years by a, a citizens task force group for that area that was put together via facilitation with Cornell and such that you know over the course of time it became unwieldy um, you know the, the five years is is a short period of time that's a lot of work in each region and as time has gone by and uh, the workforce has dwindled at the DEC side uh, it became rapidly self-evident that they needed to make a change so you know these WMUs were aggregated into uh, larger areas um, that were habitat uh, consistent, uh, if you will, uh, ecologically consistent, to try to get to a WMU aggregate and set uh, objectives at that level. Um, uh, that's done online, that's done with a, a lot more outreach and such, and uh, it's basically to assure that the data collection and population assessments are accurate and timely, etc. There were uh, updates that are looking at being done uh, for this population management enhancement with this new plan, uh, including updating the, the licensing system to uh, create additional flexibility within DMP, maybe to be able to issue more than two per person. Um, they're also looking at special seasons, DEC is looking at special seasons to buttress the antlerless harvests in especially problematic areas. Uh, they're going to continue the study on deer impacts on ecology and uh, on forest regeneration. Uh, so we're going to have, uh, you know, study number 30,000 on this one. Uh, and, and disease monitoring and containment. You know, certainly the chronic wasting disease issue is front and center, uh, rightfully so. We, we don't have it in New York, but it seems like uh, Pennsylvania and other areas surrounding us, uh, CWD is getting closer to our border. And it's only a matter of time before a few animals cross the border that are infected and starts shedding and spreading prions all over the place. Um, but the disease monitoring and containment is not just limited to chronic wasting disease. Uh, you know, uh, epizootic equine encephalitis, uh, epizootic hemorrhagic disease. You know, these things are 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 uh, uh, the things that hit the deer herd every year, and uh, we like to monitor that. Uh, DEC wants to make sure that you know we know what's going on with the populations. If there's an outbreak of something, that we can respond to if we can respond to it. So that's going to continue. Um, you know, the DEC is once again seeking a ban on using natural urine-based scents, admitting that. You know, the prion counts are so low in urine that you actually have to load it with prions and then count the difference to find it. Uh, we also know that standard, uh, that science has found that, that uh, you know, 100 to 130 prions, uh, you know, appears to be the level of, uh, of, of infection uh, that, that starts the infection problem. Um, but there is something, you know, with the, the urine that I don't know why. I mean, it's so low, it's used by the drop. It's not detectable in there, um, yet uh, the business prevention team is still, you know, looking at, despite science saying it really is un unnecessary, um, they're still looking at, uh, you know, trying to take that business out of New York. Um, you know, comment on that. Uh, the good news is that, you know, you've got the prohibition on feeding deer and large wildlife will remain in place, and wildlife rehabilitators will be worked with to assure any deer that they rehabilitate will not pose a threat to the wild deer on the landscape when introduced. Uh, you know, hunter recruitment and retention efforts, uh, which, you know, has been declining for several years, um, although COVID, COVID, COVID saw a big uptick, 7% uh, across the board to a 23% rise in 14 to 15 year olds. Um, there are some issues that are driving this beyond uh, 
um, you know, beyond the, the, the 14 and 15 year olds and 16 year olds playing soccer, chasing girls, etc. Uh, you know, the, the issue that's been mainly recognized is access to hunting lands. Uh, land leasing is driving this, caused by property tax increases. Uh, you know, you've got people that are looking to make deer sanctuaries. Uh, you know, folks that just uh, have purchased lands and are making it their private hunting grounds. Uh, these things are certainly impacting the ability to manage deer. Um, antlerless harvest in problematic areas uh, indicating the need for a special season uh, is prompting the DEC to propose a nine-day firearm season starting in mid-September. Uh, and they'd be, you know, in places like Wildlife Management Unit or WMU 9A, which has been uh, one of those uh, uh, WMUs that have continually had uh, a lot of DMPs issued. They have supplemental issuances. You can get bonus DMPs after you filled those two and get you can get a third. Um, but again, the problem up in Niagara County, which is predominantly 9A, is the ability to access hunting lands. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But, um, you know, perhaps some incentives to, you know, provide breaks on property taxes uh, to landowners that do allow people to hunt voluntarily uh, with permission, not charging, etc. cetera. Uh, working through the uh, Fish and Wildlife Management Board in New York, I think those would be some good things. I doubt that... Uh, DEC will, or New York State, I think DEC would propose it. I think New York State would say, no, we want to keep our money. But uh, that would be something that could be uh, could be done. Um, the uh, voluntary AR, uh, they're going to be reviewing those rules and uh, unknown if there are going to be any changes, but that's on the uh, <clears throat> that's on the radar for the, the 10 or 12 uh, WMUs on the eastern part of the state that are under mandatory antler restriction. Uh, you know, the the lead ammunition uh issue that's still voluntary uh you know there is no science to indicate how much uh lead is being uh ingested by uh animals because they're they're eating carcasses that are abandoned or gut piles that have lead riddled through them i don't think there's any in this state and with deer search uh you know helping people find lost uh carcasses the recovery rate is in the 90 percentile range uh, I think it's a, another anti-gun move, but, uh, you know, hunters are still, uh, you know, promoting, uh, you know, the choice. I mean, if you are concerned about lead, uh, you can use copper sabots. It's just the problem is, is that not every caliber has alternate ammo and older firearms uh, may not be able to handle safely through the barrels or older barrels this harder, um, uh, harder substance and the higher charge that is required to propel them. Um, but, uh, you know, that's still being pushed. I like the voluntary approach. Uh, voluntary and educating works better than legislation or regulation. Uh, another change that is being uh, implemented in, in terms of trying to strengthen uh, deer management is adding hours uh, to the hunting hours by adding a half hour before sunrise and a half hour after sunset, which lines up uh, New York with many other states, but there are concerns over safety on this, you know, in the, during the low light periods. And I think in response to that, another proposal is to mandate by regulation the use of uh, uh, safety orange during the firearm season uh, to try to make you more visible. We've pushed on this, uh, you know, to make sure that this is not something that becomes a crutch. Uh, we are voluntary, our, we're, and we're one of the safest states uh, for hunting accidents, by the way, folks, we are voluntary. You don't, uh, you're not required to wear hunter orange or fluorescent pink or whatever the, the colors they want to use. Uh, you're not required to do that, and yet New York State is one of the safest states for hunting. That's because we take the time to know what's beyond our target. And the fear is, is that if you're wearing safety orange and everybody's wearing safety orange, you start getting acclimated. And if you don't see safety orange behind your target, you start thinking that the shot is safe rather than really actually looking at silhouettes and trying to pick out something that doesn't belong. Uh, you know, you may have a, a very thick hedgerow that somebody's behind that you can't see orange through. Uh, you may have a, a horizon shot. Uh, you know, somebody may be hiding behind a tree and they step out just as you're ready to take the shot. Uh, you know, those, those instances you know, sometimes happen. Hunter uh, safety orange is, it doesn't solve all of that. Uh, you are to know you what, you, you know, beyond your target, not just what your target is. And, 
you know, most of the hunting-related shooting incidences, the scenarios that happen, Hunter's Safety uh, safety Orange wouldn't have helped in, in, in any case anyhow. So I don't know if that's an, un, it seems like an unnecessary regulation to me. Uh, but they, you know, looking at that diminishing uh, daylight periods, I think that is a, a, uh, a, a response to that. Um, other things, you know, the holiday hunt is in there. Uh, you're looking at allowing some antlerless uh, harvest on muzzleloader in the northern zone that are specific to WMUs that currently prohibit this. Uh, this uh, plan is also looking at establishing a January firearm season in Westchester County, much like Suffolk County, and expanding the deer management focus areas to statewide urban and suburban hunting programs. Uh, that's uh, everywhere except in Wildlife Management Unit 9C, where big game hunting is prohibited by law going back to the 1940s, late 40s, early 50s. Uh, you know, so we need to get that done because there are areas in Buffalo, Amherst, Chittawaga, etc. that have problems with deer populations and we can't manage them. And it costs a heck of a lot of money, uh, not just on the overtime to pay the police to do the bait and shoot, but that also impacts the uh, pensions after they retire as well. Pension funds are not healthy in New York, as everybody knows. Uh, we talked about the uh, landowner cooperative programs. That would be nice. Uh, but there's also now some, some uh, uh, mention that any changes that are made, uh, they're also going to start reviewing any conflicts to other outdoor pursuits such as small game and trapping. That's good news. Should have been done before the ar early archery season was expanded to October 1st and created that small game opener uh, conflict that we have today. Uh, but, you know, it's a good news thing that they're going to now start looking at that and they're sensitive to it. Um, uh, education and outreach is also a, a big part of this uh, to the general public. Uh, you know, being a, a locavore uh, helps uh, reduce uh, climate change effects, I guess. Uh, the high-quality food that's being donated and the meat that's put on the table is, is a phenomenal thing. And that's a driver of uh, the increases last year because of the fears of meat shortages due to COVID, COVID, COVID. Makes a lot of sense. Um, You've got a, a deer habitat and habitat management is also a big part of this, um, you know, pushing the Young Forest Initiative, but uh, doing so much more, reaching out to the, uh, the landowners and such to help that area as well. Uh, if, you know, the Young Forest Initiative doesn't, you know, impact private landowners, that's just state lands, WMAs, uh, multiple use areas and uh, state forests, etc. Uh, parks are getting involved in it as well, but stronger land management needs to be done because, you know, in areas where we've got mature forest now in the southern tier, those are the areas that you have uh, the highest incidences of crop damage being done. There's not a lot of food in a mature forest. Uh, there is food in, in, a, in a farm area, farm setting, and, uh, you know, that's a, a big driver of uh, crop damage. So I'm, I'm happy to see that we have, uh, you know, the land management being done, and uh, that's a big part of the plan as well. Obviously having enough personnel and, uh, you know, do the job, and, you know, DEC is currently operating on a skeleton crew, uh, let's hope some jobs are filled. Uh, let's hope some, you know, they're not consolidated. Uh, they do need the staffing to get these things done. Uh, once again, hunters have until August 8th, 2021 to comment. You can comment via email. You can do it in writing. Uh, you know, we do have this, this gap of getting environmental impact studies done on wind turbines and solar arrays. Um, but I've heard through the grapevine, that's the purveyance of Department of Public Service. I think we all need to be pushing on that. But uh, we should comment on this and, uh, you know, get these comments out there. I am reserving my comment uh, on it right now. I'm not going to give you my opinion, although I do give uh, kudos to the DEC for uh, their work on this. Again, August 8th. Let's get that comment out there, folks. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to take another quick break. But don't go anywhere. We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back.
And welcome back, sportsmen and women and conservationists from New York and across the Fruited Plains to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from not-so-sunny Tandawanda, New York. Uh, rain is moving in, wind is picking up. We got high wind warnings, uh, excess of 60-mile-an-hour uh, gusts later on today. Uh, that's always good news. Uh, wind uh, turbines don't like that high wind. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you can, you bet the steel winds, uh, uh, wind factory. That's a 15 megawatt experiment over in, uh, Lackawanna on that brownfield along the shores of Lake Erie. Uh, they won't be doing anything in, in the not too distant. Uh, wind energy is just something that doesn't work. And, uh, I have conducted, uh, on behalf of, uh, the folks that are helping to protect, uh, the Great Lakes from this folly, um, uh, I put together a document that, and, and a, a production review, uh, a production audit on wind energy in general. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the arguments, they say that, you know, wind energy is cost effective, it's sustainable, the wind is free, blah, 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 it's emissions free, all these other good things. Well, we know it's not cost effective because, you know, we always see the prices go up about 275% due to the variability and fluctuations of the available electrical energy coming off of them. Um, but we really want to dig deep into this and let's see exactly how bad, uh, you know, this production is. And so, you know, the New York Independent Systems Operators has available on their website uh, for download uh, data going back to December 2015 uh, that produces uh, or, or shows production or output of electrical energy in New York by fuel type. Uh, one of those obviously is wind. Um, this is some pretty detailed and pretty granular data. It is for five minutes, every five minutes of every hour of every day um, since December 2015 to date. And I have all those uh, numbers. Anybody can find them. Go to nyiso.com, and uh, you know you can go to the real-time dashboard. And uh, you know when you look at production by fuel type, you'll see down in that little uh, iframe there, um, you can get the CSV data of real-time and archive. And when you click on the archive, you get zip files that contain, um, you know, 30 or 31 or 28 in the case of February, different CSV or comma-separated value files, which are readable in Excel, um, spreadsheets, if you will, uh, that gives you all that data. Now, understanding that a power plant is to produce electrical energy 24-7, 365. It doesn't produce electricity when it can or when it has fuel available. A power plant always produces electricity. Uh, the North American uh, Electrical Reliability Commission, or NERC, N-E-R-C, sets uh, the standards for reliability. And one of those standards is for a power plant to deliver a certain percentage of their nameplate capacity or what their maximum capacity rating would be. Um, for traditional real power plants like hydro, nuclear, coal, etc., uh, natural gas, dual fuel, uh, they have to prove that they can deliver 60% of their nameplate capacity 24-7 to the grid. That's done via commissioning or, or running it through its paces as a dry run, if you will, before they get the permit to operate. Um, for renewables, that was dropped down to 30%, wind and solar, 30% of nameplate capacity because 60%, you know, the wind doesn't blow all the time, so we got to try to figure out how to get it in the grid. They still can't meet that. Anyhow some production audit information. I did a three-year audit, and in 2018, uh, the hours of zero electrical energy production, no megawatts at all, was 30.4 hours. You can't have that. Less than 10 megawatts was 191.4 hours, or 7.98 days of less than 10 megawatts. Now, again, this is statewide. This is total. And this is, uh, you know, based on a total installed capacity, according to NYSERDA, of 1,987 megawatts. So you have uh, 191.4 hours of, of 10 megawatts or less. Uh, under 25, which is the definition or the threshold for a large-scale utility, 25 megawatt. I don't know how large-scale that is, but... 463 hours of less than 25 megawatts or 19 days. 
under 100 megawatts was 1,660 hours or almost 70 days of, I mean, that's like nothing. 30% uh, of nameplate capacity would be 596 megawatts. And wind energy in 2018 could not meet uh, that 30% uh, to the grid for over 253 days or nearly 70% of the year. That's striking. Uh, 2019 and 2020 showed similar uh, performance. Uh, you know, it, it is pretty darn eye-opening when you see in 2020 that 65% of the year, 237 and a half days, you got under 30%. Um, 26.5 hours of nothing. Uh, that's horrible. And, and just as an aside, if you wanted to look at, you know, when does it perform like a real power plant delivering at least 60% of nameplate capacity to the grid? And I did find that we're 848.9 hours or 849 hours of 60% or more to the grid in 2020 or 35 days, less than 10% of the time, 9.7% of the year, these things actually performed like those power plants they're supposed to replace. Folks, what the heck is that? I mean, they can't, you can't hide from this. By comparison, hydroelectric power in New York, which has an installed capacity of 5,386.6 megawatts, shows that, you know, it never has any hours that it doesn't produce any electricity. In fact, it shows throughout this three-year period that there is never a time when it has anything less than, you know, 30%. Uh, in 2020, for instance, uh, as I look at this, the hours of megawatt production to the grid that were under 30% of nameplate capacity, again in 2020, and that value would be 1,616 megawatts to the grid. Uh, there was a, a whopping 17.25 hours during the course of the year where, where hydro was not putting to the grid more than 30% of electrical energy or, or of its uh, capacity. Uh, 17 and a quarter hours. That means there was very low demand on those days. There may have even been some scheduled maintenance on some of the turbines uh, that happened on that, but 17 hours, that's like nothing. Let's contrast that to how many hours uh, hydro delivered 60% or more of its nameplate capacity to the grid and that was over 211 days, 211 days, whereas under 60% was 159 days total, which includes that 17-hour that period of under 30%. Um, but there's 159 days where the grid did not need uh, the 60% coming from uh, hydro, but there were 211 and one-half days that the grid needed 60% or more of uh, the capacity of hydro, and it delivered it. That's what a working power plant does. That's what a working power plant does. Uh, what we do see is that you can't reach any thresholds that, that give any kind of reliability from wind. I mean, 70% of the time, not being able to reach a 30% of nameplate capacity is a failure. And that's why you don't have these interconnects direct to the grid for these uh, wind factories. They're coming through microgrids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that you're going to see, in order to accelerate this, a complete uh, scrapping of the uh, reliability standards on this. Give them the interconnect. Who cares? Well, you know, now you're increasing a complexity that is going to impact uh, you know, New York's uh, cost of electricity through either lack of availability or needing to import, and you have a lot of loss due to distance and Ohm's law, not to mention congestion, when we're trying to pull a lot of electricity over interconnects to other states into Canada. Um, not very good. Not very good at all. Um, you know, when you couple that, that we're already importing 3,500 to 4,000 megawatts any given hour of any given day, uh, and we're going to embark upon destroying forests and farmland, 
we're going to have the lifestyles of the Amish without forests or farmland, folks. It's going to be pretty breathtaking. Um, it's self-evident that these pursuits, uh, when you look at the production, it's not going to improve any. You can't improve on the wind. You can't control the wind. Uh, there is no technology that will make this better for wind energy. Uh, we haven't even started talking about the parasitic nature of what these things suck down. And, you know, there are so many, I mean, I've got pages and pages of problems that can be uh, attributed in risks that are associated with putting these in the Great Lakes. I've got, uh, it looks like four plus pages of bullet points of potential problems, unknowns, and things that we do know will be a problem to get nothing. Folks, we're going to get nothing. This is the it, this is the definition of folly. This is the definition of uh, uh, of of uh, irresponsibility. And again, bear in mind that all of this stuff was already done 11 years ago by NYSERDA. All of this has already been discovered. And you know they're trying to play like they've never done this before, and this is a brand new thing. It's not a brand new thing, folks. They're lying to you. They're trying to, to trick you, and they're trying to get a, a, a terrible agenda at the, the cost of our fresh water. Don't let that happen. It's clear that wind energy doesn't work. Solar isn't much better, but unfortunately, I can't get, and no one can really get the actual numbers from New York Independent Systems operators that is, you know, solar. You know, part of it is because you've got a lot of private behind-the-meter solar that's in play, people putting their own rooftop solar panels on, et cetera, et cetera, getting cost uh, breaks, getting tax breaks, et cetera, to do that. Um, you know, behind the meter and not controlled by uh, the ISO is, is one thing, but once you've got, you know, some industrial arrays, you know, we can't even track that because it's lumped into other things like biofuels and refuse and wood and things such as that. Um, so we don't know what's coming from a solar panel or we don't know what's coming from a wood fire. Um, that's a problem. Hopefully they can get some uh, clarity and some granularity on that so we get a picture of it. But, you know, uh, you know, before anybody finds out about this, that's what the state's trying to push. They don't want you knowing that wind is this bad. And we've got decades of, of, uh, of information to draw on. We can even look at the similar production profiles over in the UK and in the European Union. They're showing the same things. The wind is just as unreliable and unpredictable over in Europe as it is in the United States. And, uh, you know, they, we can find the production data from them. The Energy Information Administration uh, has a lot of this information. Uh, you can go to uh, the United Nations. I believe they, they provide some international information on energy, etc. Uh, you can find this stuff. You can go to the, to the websites of, of uh, these different nations and get this production data handily. And you'll see that it's pretty much uh, as bad as it is here in New York, but they want to rush these in place. They want to get these in place before you know what's going on, let alone before we know whether or not any of this is going to actually cause problems. It's an amazing thing. Just an amazing thing. Well, we've got one more break to take on this fastest podcast in podcast history, folks. Yep. 45 minutes are in the can. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be right back with the final segment of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. Welcome back to the final segment of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am Rich Davenport, your humble host, coming to you from not-so-sunny Tandawanda, New York. Not-so-sunny and very windy Tandawanda, New York. 
Uh, welcome back again. This is our last segment here, and I, you know, we've got other folly in New York State that's impacting uh, our our natural resources and our wild treasures, and that's the solar array folly. Uh, wind energy isn't alone, folks. Uh, you know, there's this the the solar push by energy illiterate folks is almost as bad as the uh, wind zealots are are pushing. Um, but we are being targeted specifically in Western New York for these things. I mean, I've got I've got another uh, wind factory that's looking at uh, moving forward. Uh, Ball Hill Wind Factory down in Chautauqua County. Um, that's that's trying to get moving forward. Um, you know, Niagara County and the, the residents in Cambria and Wheatfield and, and in areas uh, around the Bear Ridge uh, uh, Plateau up in there, they've been fighting a pitch battle to keep uh, solar arrays off of uh, farmland that is currently not being used uh, because once you get these things out there onto the farmland, it turns the farmland into industrial brownland, brownfield. Um, you know, there are, there are components, uh, heavy metals, uh, things that can flake off, leach off, etc. Uh, there's a lot of fear uh, that that these things are toxic. The rare earth metals are toxic. We're finding that you know the neodymium or neodymium rather that's used to make uh, these uh, big magnets, the permanent magnets in wind factories, these wind turbines and the nacelles. Uh, those things are shedding and they're toxic. Uh, you know, solar has lead in it. Uh, these panels contain lead. They contain silver. They contain other uh, other substances that you know we just don't know enough about them. Uh, to really make decisions on it. And Niagara County is, you know, fighting alongside the residents uh, to keep these things out. You know, there are appropriate places that they say, I don't say, uh, I know better, but, um, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, hey, we, we're not opposed to solar. We just don't want them on our farmland. Why don't we put them on industrial brownfields? It's a better idea if you're going to do it for sure. Uh, so Niagara County is creating new local laws that are being crafted that center around the problem with the end of life and the handling of these solar panels, requiring the manufacturers to deliver a recycling plan before any project can be considered. Um, the manufacturers that are installing um, uh, these things are, are having to provide these plans because we just don't, you know, we want to don't want to see these things becoming uh, a wasteland. Once the 20-year lifespan is done on these panels, um, who's going to pick them up? What are they going to do? Where are they going to be disposed? Um, so, you know, these local laws, you know, according to uh, uh, the legislators that are, are pushing to adopt them, um, you know, if the local law causes a developer to back off, so be it. It's intended to protect the farmland and their environment. Uh, legislator Dave Godfrey uh, is pushing that, and he's trying to protect this as, as best he can. Um, another council person or another uh, county legislator, Rebecca Whitish, um, has put forth uh, the recycling law, um, and, and it's regardless of popularity. They want to make sure that Niagara County doesn't become a wasteland for these things. Uh, you know, we don't want to see that these things just go up and then they're abandoned. Um, they're complex pieces of technology. They become big, bulky sheets of electronic waste at the end of their life. And right now, most of the world doesn't have a plan dealing with it. Um, you know, the solar panels consist primarily of silicon, glass, plastic, but also contain ten, tin, lead, and silver. And, uh, you know, they say that generally they last about 25 years, although they can say that it'll be 20 years, etc. Um You've got to get the manufacturers involved in this. Uh, so, you know, the, the law is going to be uh, hopefully requiring these uh, manufacturers to start uh, presenting a recycling plan by August 1st, 2022, for making 100% of their defunct photovoltaic modules available for recycling. Uh, by 2026, 60% of a discarded panel's weight actually must be recycled. Uh, a goal that increases to 85% by weight uh, by 2031. Um, the law also says that discarded panels may not be stored in the county for more than 90 days, and the intention of the county is not to become a dumping ground for the next best idea, just like the chemical industry with Love Canal and the radioactive dumping that was done for the Manhattan Project. Um, the law includes a penalty of $100 per day per panel, um, for every day a recycling plan is not submitted after the initial warning. 
Um, so, you know, the county in 2019 required solar developers that received tax, tax breaks to post a bond to pay for the cost of removing these expired solar installations and restoring the land beneath them. Uh, Godfrey, the legislator Godfrey said the county is working on another law that will require manufacturers of the batteries that store solar power to take steps to control the risk of an electrical fire that might release toxic fumes. And, you know, let's also not forget that in order to extinguish one of those battery fires that's emitting toxic fumes, you need to use aqueous film forming foam, which is loaded with perfluoral alkyl and polyfluoral alkyl substances, which are known endocrine inhibitors, cancer causing agents that run right through the ground, uh, into the groundwater and contaminate uh, wells like crazy. Ask everybody uh, in Mayville about that one. We've learned that one. So, you know, the end-of-life matters uh, are never really considered, you know, by these flim-flam artists. And I'm happy to see that Niagara County is taking a stand to demand end-of-life plans and recycling be in play. Uh, decommissioning and such, when you look at the leases on wind factories uh, and you look at the fine print, these end-of-life recycling, eliminating whatever uh, to do to these... Uh, uh, expired, if you will, or no longer in service uh, wind turbines. That's all usually uh, at the uh, cost and at the expense of the landowner, at the leaseholder. Um, read those uh, agreements and understand that. Uh, wind turbines are either left to rust or they're demolished with explosives. You know, that's not good, not good at all. Solar arrays, you know, industrial arrays haven't been installed in large-scale projects in New York long enough for the lifespan to end. But talk about addressing this now uh, with the manufacturers sound and responsible. Uh, you know, no one wants to listen to science and reality, uh, you know, which ultimately... Uh, disqualifies solar from the industrial array. No one wants to listen to that. I mean, these things generate direct current electricity, and it's a power that is not suitable, that form is not suitable for industrial electrical distribution. Just remember Tesla versus Edison, folks. Um, the next best thing is to demand responsibility from the makers if we're not going to demand that we follow science. Uh, so let's make sure that the makers of these things are going to be responsible and follow their product through end of life and take care of that end of life after it's done uh you know don't put it on the backs of the communities on the backs of the taxpayers on the backs of the leaseholders uh, this is your crap that you're getting making good money on and at the end of the day you need to take care of it we've already had enough experience uh through you know the different chemical companies through the manhattan project and uh you know through a lot of other industrial polluters uh back in the day before we knew any better um, we've learned our lesson well on that. So let's make sure that, uh, you know, we at least have some protections for the people. Uh, and if it is uh, overly burdensome and if it's just too cost uh, prohibitive for the solar uh, makers and the solar folks uh, to go and pursue this farmland in Niagara County and in other counties that may model um, these things after uh, after Niagara County, which, by the way, is modeling these uh, solar recycling laws after the first in the nation law, solar panel recycling law was passed in Washington state. Uh, so it's, this is not like they're, they're operating in a vacuum. Um, it's, uh, there's something that's already out there. Niagara County is modeling their law after Washington state's laws, demanding recycling, etc. And as more and more counties do this, uh, to take this protective step for the people, for the land and assure that these uh, panels and such, once they're done, aren't just sitting there uh, causing visual pollution, physical pollution, and potential uh, uh, material pollution. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's sound and that's responsible. Kudos to the Niagara County Legislature for taking up such an important task. And, uh, you know, again, kudos to the people that are fighting this over in, uh, in Cambria and in other places in Niagara County and elsewhere in New York State. Uh, we are rushing into these things to try to consume all this land and capture this money to give to these cronies that are going to do nothing but funnel it back to the campaign contribution coffers of these people that think uh, government can set uh, you know, the winners and losers in an economic environment. And these people aren't even energy literate. Uh, it's absolutely disgusting. It really is. Um, 
but you know the good news is is that these things aren't built yet uh you know the lakes are still free of it so that's good news as well i mean the as more and more inter, inter, information comes out and goes by you know we see this is not going to save the planet this is not going to make any kind of a difference it's only going to take us backwards it's not going to take us forwards um you know the the proposed and claimed jobs that are going to come with it you know that's a big joke uh you know it's jobs for everybody but new yorkers and those are only the construction jobs at best you know you may be left with three or four permanent jobs to monitor and maintain the sites uh it's an absolute joke it's a flim flam and it is a con uh all in the name of saving the planet from plant food again you know carbon dioxide is plant food uh, in fact, you know, the more, the more carbon dioxide we have in the atmosphere, uh, the more photosynthesis that is, uh, it happens from the plants. Uh, the, the bigger the plants grow, the greener they grow, the more food they produce. Uh, you know, that's not a bad thing, people. Uh, current atmospheric levels are 340 parts per million. They may fluctuate up to as high as 400 parts per million. And we don't have a problem with carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere until it exceeds 2,000. 2,000 parts per million, folks. This is all a big flim-flam. It's an absolute scam. If we're going to actually do what's right, you know, we're going to you know, look at small footprints. We don't want to see 800 acres or 1,000 acres or 2,000 acres of land covered by solar arrays. We don't need to see 10 square miles of forest consumed, interrupted, and segmented out for industrial wind factory turbines. We don't need that. That's low density, no energy coming off of this for the encroachment that we, the people, are putting on the wildlife. Why are we encroaching like that? You know, environmentalists get crazy about the encroachment of a strip mall or a subdivision that gets put up, you know, near population centers. And then they lament about the wildlife being displaced and saying, you know, we're encroaching, we're encroaching. Well, you know, we're encroaching on farmland that is, you know, used by wildlife and forest that's used by wildlife in a massive way to get nothing in return. To get nothing in return, folks. I mean, you know, you look at the production of wind. I mean, it's, you know, 9% of the time it's going to actually act like a power plant. And the remaining 91% of the time it's nothing. That's not wise. Why do we want low? We want high density, high output all the time for our electrical energy. That's nuclear. That's hydroelectric. That's natural gas and dual fuel. And yes, that's even coal. Uh, the best bet for energy, if, if people have uh, any kind of energy understanding, is high density, low encroachment, uh, reliable, dependable 24-7 electricity. That's nuclear and uh, hydro is your base. That gives you your base load and base demand. And then use natural gas and dual fuel, which burns very, very clean, very low emissions. The only emissions that there are is water vapor and carbon dioxide. You don't have particulates coming off of natural gas that are measurable. Uh, you use that natural gas, that is very responsive. It is a very responsive fuel, and that meets your peak demand. Now we're cooking with gas. Now we're not worrying about importing uh, electrical energy. Now we're not worried about, uh, you know, going dark and having to have rolling blackouts. Well, folks, that'll do it for this segment and this episode of We Love Outdoors. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Independence Day coming up. All of the uh, fishing seasons are now open in New York State. And, uh, you know, enjoy it. We're having a heck of a good time. And uh, don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to be all right. Again, my name is Rich Davenport. Thank you for listening. And I'll catch you same bat time, same bat channel next week.